0: Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. Whether you're at the top of the social spectrum or whether you would be considered to be at the bottom, the curse comes for you. There is no one who is immune from illness or disease. There is no one who does not have to consider the truth of the future. And we know that whether it might be today or 90 years from now, one day we will die. We are reminded of this truth with those that we know, those that we love when we journey with them through their last days, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our processing through the pain that we are experiencing in our loss, we are also naturally reminded that one day we are going to face the same thing. Our loved ones will grieve their loss of us. But we get this reminder of the effect of the curse, not only when we journey with those that we know There are times where we're reminded of this publicly, right? In in recent weeks, there was a very high-profile death, was there not, with the passing of Queen Elizabeth. While she lived a good, long life, even her status as queen did not keep death from coming for her. She had wealth, she had status, but just like anyone else, She met her end. The leveling effect of the curse is not only felt in death, but in the afflictions that people experience. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. Illness can find its way to you. Cancer does not just affect people of one social class or of one ethnicity. Sickness does not only affect males, or just females. It doesn't even discriminate on the basis of age, does it? Regardless of who you are, the depressing effects of the curse come to us. Now you're probably thinking, boy, thanks for the pick-me-up this morning. Well, as we arrive at our passage in Luke today, we see two people who are desperately in need of help because of the effects of the curse, and they come to Jesus. And we see that they are on two completely different ends of the spectrum. One is a social outcast because of her medical issues, and the other is a ruler of the synagogue. And despite their respective statuses, they both come to Jesus in the hope that he will be able to help them. That while the curse is a leveler for them, they believe that perhaps Jesus can level the curse. Now as we dig into this passage this morning, let's quickly go through our breakdown of the passage so that we can follow along and and see what is happening here. The first thing that we're going to see in the passage is that this ruler of a synagogue comes to Jesus and asks him to come to his house, and we find out that this ruler of the synagogue has a daughter who's dying, and she's just twelve years of age. and And we can really feel this situation, can't we? We don't know many details of what is going on here. We don't know if this ruler of the synagogue is a follower of Jesus or if he has just heard that Jesus has healed others, and he's desperate, so he's going to try anything. We don't know. We don't even know what afflicts this poor young. Girl, we just know that this man is desperate for her to receive healing because this young lady is dying. Secondly, we see that while Jesus is making his way to the home of Jairus, a woman who all we know is that she has an affliction, she seeks healing from Jesus. And we'll see that her situation has caused her to be an outcast in their culture and in their community. And that this has been a problem for a substantial amount of time. And she displays great faith and is healed without even asking Jesus to heal her. And finally, we see that Jesus is not able to make it to the daughter of Jairus in time. But that doesn't mean that he's not able to help her. All through the book of Luke, we have seen the idea that Jesus has authority. And this is on display for us all over the place in Luke. Well, today, here, once again, we are reminded of that authority that Jesus has, not only over sickness and disease, but he has authority over death itself. And we once again are reminded that Jesus is divine. An important theme that we've seen as we have been progressing through Luke's gospel together. And so we arrive here in verse 40 of chapter 8, and we're reminded that Jesus is returning. Well, returning from where? Remember, he had crossed the Sea of Galilee. And on the trip, Jesus calmed the storm. Remember that from a few weeks back. And then he got to the other side, and we saw last week that this man, possessed with potentially thousands and thousands of demons, greets him, and Jesus allows the demons in the man to go into a herd of pigs, and the, the demons drown the pigs in the lake. Outrageous story, right? It was another reminder of the power and the authority and the divinity that Jesus possesses. Well, this whole event was an interesting turn of turn of events, to say the least. And you'll remember, the, the people are very uncomfortable with what has happened. They're afraid of the power that Jesus possesses. And so they ask him to leave. And so Jesus honors their wishes. He gets back in the boat and he heads back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's what we're seeing today when it says that he's returning. And so as we start up, what Luke draws out for us here is a different attitude than what we saw on the other side of the lake of the Sea of Galilee. And Luke wants us to know that This reception is different than what we saw earlier on in this passage. In fact, we see that they're waiting for him. He went to the other side, and now they're waiting for Jesus. And with this group, that is all all happy to see him, we're introduced to a man by the name of Jairus. And we're given an important bit of detail about this guy's life. We're told that he is the ruler of the synagogue. So this was a highly respected position in their culture. He was the guy who was in charge of setting up the service that took place at the synagogue. He would select the ones who would lead the prayers and those who would read Scripture. As I said, this was a position that was viewed with very high esteem. And so as he comes up to Jesus, we don't know anything about his views Of Jesus, we don't know what interaction he has had before with the Lord. We don't know if he even views Jesus to be the Messiah. We don't know any of that. But Luke lets us know that he falls at the feet of Jesus on this day, he puts himself in subjection to Jesus, and we find out why. He has a deep need. And the actions of this man not only give us a clue that he is putting himself in subjection to Jesus by falling at his feet, but it also lets us know that, that Jairus is a desperate man. He has this daughter that's dying. She's only 12 years old. And of all the stories that we have come across in the book of Luke, perhaps we're best able to put ourselves in the shoes of Jairus today. Imagine that you have heard that there is this man, Jesus, who, who heals people. And you have a daughter who's on the verge of death. You would do anything to get to Jesus, wouldn't you? You would travel any distance. You would climb over any obstacle. And when you got to Jesus, you would fall at His feet. And you would beg Him if He is able to heal your child. Very little thought of who you believe Jesus to be would come into play for you, would it? All you are concerned about is keeping your child from death. That's enough to put you at the feet of Jesus and to beg Him for help. You would fall on your knees. You would offer your life to Him. You would do anything and you know it. You can understand the heart of Jairus here today. And as the story continues, the details are scant. We, we don't get knowledge of what he asked Jesus other than he implores him to come to his house, and, and Jesus goes. And as he goes, Luke again reminds us of, of how the people feel about Jesus on this side of the Sea of Galilee by giving us this description of, of what the crowds are like. Jairus got himself to the feet of Jesus And he must have been fighting quite the crowd because we see here Luke telling us that the the people are pressed in all around him. Again, a contrast of how things went on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so as we move on to the second part of this story, we see that Luke uses this description here of the crowd to set us up to understand the next part of the story. So remember, this is is a crowd of people, and, and my guess is that they weren't all there to have Jesus impart truth to him about God's Word. They weren't there to say, hey, sit down and teach us, more than likely. They were there because they probably had needs that needed to be met as well. Maybe they were there because they thought that Jesus might be the one to overthrow the Roman government at some point. And so they wanted to see and hear for themselves the power of this man that they had heard so much about who might be the Messiah, who can give the Romans the boot. There's all re- kinds of reasons the people might be there. You can imagine. You can imagine the way the people would have been crowding in around Jesus. So in the midst of this mass of humanity, we're introduced to a woman who is not even given a name but we know her affliction, don't we? We're told that she's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She has tried to remedy this issue by spending all that she has on physicians, and yet no one has been able to help her. Now, you and I can understand that perhaps the financial element of this has put her in the lower social strata, right? That she's probably poor because of this. She spent all her money on physicians, But there is so much more than that that you and I need to understand. Having this flow of blood makes her ceremonially and ritually unclean. She is an outcast. An outcast from their community. She is separated from others. She is on the outside. She is on the fringes of their society. So I want to come back to what I've drawn out already here. Luke communicates his story to us the way he does for a reason. The story of this woman with the flow of blood and Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, their stories are intertwined to help us to see that Jesus is not only for those who many would consider to be at the top of society and the culture, but he is there for those who are at the bottom of their religious and their cultural world. Jesus has come even for the outcasts, for those at the bottom. And as this unfolds, we see that she comes up to Jesus and she just touches the fringe of his garment and she's healed. Now looking at this, you might get the idea that maybe the calling of Jesus is somehow magic, but that's not the case. That's not what Luke's telling us. We see here that Jesus is able to perceive that she touched Him. And when He asks about who touched Him, the response is what you and I would have done as well. Jesus, everyone is touching You. How are we going to isolate who it is? You've been walking through this sea of humanity. What are you talking about? Literally, hundreds of people have touched You. Everyone is touching You. But Jesus let them know that he was able to perceive that power left him. And the woman comes forward and she falls down before Jesus. Remember, this is what Jairus did as well. She fell at, he fell at the feet of Jesus. We're meant to understand here that regardless of where you are in the social structure, when you need Jesus, you acknowledge that need whether you're the ruler of the synagogue at the top or where you're you're this outcast, when you need Jesus, you fall at his feet. And after we are told why she had touched Jesus, she lets him know there's a significant statement that is unique here from Jesus. We never read this woman's name. We only hear of her affliction. But look at what Jesus calls her. He calls her daughter. And this is the only time that Jesus makes this statement to someone. It's a true term of endearment and it shows His love for her. We learn from Jesus that it's not that His garments are magical but instead it is the faith of this woman that has saved her. And what we're meant to see and what we're meant to feel here is that this outcast This person at the bottom has great faith, such great faith, that just by touching the garment of Jesus, she is saved. She believed that Jesus could heal her. And it's not that it is her faith that has the power, but the object of her faith. And we find that this is the point of these two stories. As we move on to the final part of this passage and we see the resolution of, of the first part, we've almost forgotten about Jairus and his daughter because this story of what has happened to this woman, this woman that Jesus calls daughter, is so captivating for us. But, but these stories are intertwined for a reason. And we find that before any more details can be given to us, Jesus is interrupted by a messenger from the house of Jairus. And we instantly see a contrast here. There's a lot of contrast in this story as we look at it because we see the faith of the woman, arguably the greatest faith in Jesus that we have seen in the book of Luke so far. And then we see a lack of faith in this messenger. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's over. It's done. She's dead. You fought through the crowd to get to him but there's nothing that this Jesus can do about this now. Look at the contrast and how stark it is between the woman and this messenger. Complete trust in the power of Jesus, immediately followed by doubt and unbelief and despair. And you can understand why. This isn't looking down on this messenger. We we get it, don't you? Death is final. It's over. We've all come face to face with the reality of death and the cold reality that you will not speak with your loved one again. We all have experienced it. We all know it. You'll never embrace them again. The finality of death is arguably the most difficult thing that we face in our lives. Why would this messenger from the house of Jairus think that anything different could happen? It's one thing... To heal somebody, the person is still breathing. There's always hope while someone's alive, right? As soon as they take their last breath, we know it's over. And why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? Well, because Jesus is here. That's why. That's why. The one who holds the power over death is within earshot. And he does not hold the same assumptions about the fate of this young woman. Look at the boldness of the words of Jesus. Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. Now from our human perspective, that's impossible. But what have we learned so far about Jesus here in Luke? He is divine. He has authority over all things. And here we are going to be reminded that even death is in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have to love the confidence in that statement and in the fact that he doesn't turn around and walk away because they don't have faith. Again, the contrast here couldn't be any more obvious between the faith of the woman and this person from the house of Jairus. So when they arrive at the home of Jairus, no one no one goes in with Jesus except his little inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, and then the parents of the daughter are also allowed to come in. But all those who are mourning are dismissed from the presence of the girl. Now, mourning was, a, was a substantial thing in their culture. I've, I've mentioned this before. Grieving, mourning, was a very big deal. There were even professional mourners. Think about that. Professional mourners. Seriously. And with the death rate being what it was, I'm sure you would see and you would hear the wailing of these professional mourners on a regular basis in your community. You would see these demonstrations of grief on a very regular basis. Now, I think it's interesting that Luke involves these mourners the way he does in the story. Because these people are mourners. It's what they do. They know what death looks like. It's a substantial part of their lives. And so when Jesus tells, tells them that she isn't dead, that she's merely asleep, they know the difference. Anyone probably would have thought that was a strange statement, but, but these people were probably thinking, look, we're in the business of death here, and we know what death looks like. We're not here wailing, Because she decided to take a nap. They know what death looks like. And Luke Luke points this out here for us, right? They, They scoffed at him because they knew the truth. The daughter of Jairus is dead. But Jesus has power over death. And so he grabs this young girl by the hand and he says, Child, arise. Nothing flashy. No abracadabra, no flail of the hands, no show for the disciples and the parents. He just speaks. He speaks. And this one who is dead responds. Her spirit returns to her, we read, and she gets up at once and notice that for such an unbelievable, impossible miracle, it's all rather ordinary, isn't it? She's fully recovered. She's given food. They are astounded, but Jesus tells them not to tell anyone. Jesus does the impossible, and he isn't looking for accolades or asking to be made a big deal of. Instead, this amazing miracle, they're supposed to keep quiet. So if you weren't blown away by Jesus before this chapter of Luke... You have to be blown away now because in chapter 8 he calms a storm and we see that nature is in subjection to Jesus. The scores upon scores upon scores of demons in that possessed man are in subjection to Jesus. They can't gang up and overtake him. He has authority over evil spirits. And now he heals a woman who is unclean because of her flow of blood without even saying a word. The woman simply had faith in Jesus. And now we see that even our greatest enemy, death, even that is in subjection to Jesus. And all he needs to do is speak and the dead come to life. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is divine. Jesus has authority over all things which means He is Lord. And the question that naturally comes to us as we think about the way that Luke has been presenting Jesus to us is what do you do with Him? If Jesus is Lord, if He has authority over all these things, what do you do with Jesus? There's no doubt that He is Lord. And as we consider this passage we ask ourselves, do we have faith in him? Jesus told Jairus not to fear, but only believe. What was Jairus supposed to believe in? Believe in himself? Believe in believing for the sake of believing? No, he was to believe in Jesus. Jesus the one who is divine, the one who has authority over all things. Often we hear the statement, just have faith. But we're not to have faith in our ability to have faith. Instead, we trust in the object of faith. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has authority over nature, authority over evil spirits, authority over death. He is the object of our faith. It wasn't that the woman with the flow of blood had built up enough faith and she was over the tear and so she was healed. That's not it. It was that she had faith in the Lord Jesus. And the call on you and the call on me is to put our faith and our trust in Jesus just like this woman did. Not an expectation that we're going to be healed or that we will be blessed in an earthly way. Instead, the call on our lives is to put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because we know who He is. He has authority. And despite what happens in the world, He has authority over nature. He has authority over evil spirits. He has authority over the powers of evil. He has authority over sickness. And we know that He has authority over death. Not just because He raised the daughter of Jairus, but because He conquered the powers of sin, death, hell, and the devil by rising from the dead. And so as we face the adversity that the perils of this life can throw at us, we are called not to have faith in ourselves or to have faith for faith's sake, but instead we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, just like this woman did, just like Jairus did, and we trust in Him, And that's not easy. But it is the call on us as believers in Jesus as we live our lives in this world despite the circumstances that come before us. We are called to trust that Jesus is in control and that He has victory. And so as we step out into the world this week, may you and I have faith like the woman that we read about today. May we trust that Jesus is enough and that he has the power to save. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.